Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to uh, the MWA podcast. This is episode 182, and today we've got five questions with Sean Graham. Sean. Okay, before uh, was, we go anywhere, go. man, your radio voice just kicks in when you go into this introduction. <laughs> oh, well, we're talking along, and now all of a sudden, radio voice now. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, I hit you off with the first question. How did you get into woodworking? Uh, back when I was in college, uh, I was on the 14-year program, meaning I went to night school, and I bought a, a crack house in Arlington, Texas. A real-life crack house. And along with that, I bought one of those Home Depot Homer books, and I started rebuilding a house out of a book. Wow. That, that was wow. my first start at woodworking. So that was our, you got a book, and you got a – what, you get a, a jigsaw and a circular saw and a, and a hammer and just went at it? Basically what the book told you to get. You know, I had to replace a lot of the – it was a pier and beam house. So I had to replace a lot of the – Understructure because the crackheads left the water pipe open and just flooded it for years. Mm. And, uh, you know, whatever tools replace windows and stuff like that. I got the house cheap. (laughs) Man. Yeah. Well, we're in Arlington. I went to school there. Downtown Arlington. Uh, uh, Division in Cooper. That little neighborhood. Oh, okay. I know exactly where you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right by the railroad track. Okay, gotcha. Isn't that where all crack houses are? Yeah. (laughs) Which which makes no sense because it was literally a block away from the police station and prison. But I guess they didn't have part of it. They came out of the jail, went straight to shoot up. Well, presumably it was an empty crack house when you got it, so. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) All right, well, with that that auspicious beginning, what Mm. is your favorite tool? Uh, I I am a teacher, so my most favorite tool I'm, I've been very adamant about is a Veritas PMV half-inch chisel. The foundation for every single cutting tool out there is a chisel, and I like that particular one. Hmm. I haven't actually got to use any of their PMVs. Oh, that steel is so easy to sharpen, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a commercial, but it, I really can't tell the difference in the edge retention over time because you know the a1s that will hold their edge for a while and then it it loses its sharpness gradually so you don't really know exactly when okay i need to go sharpen it's just you eventually realize you're just pushing too hard where oh one it kind of you know it goes from 100 percent sharp and then within 30 seconds of your first few slices it's down to 80 percent it will stay in that 80 to 70 percent for a long while and then gradually go fails in this PMV, just like the others, it will dull initial 10% really quickly, but it stays at that 90% for a very, very long time. And then when it fails, it fails all at once. Mm. So you're not, there's not this gradual, oh, I need to go back and sharpen. I can maybe push it a little bit longer. You go, oh, now I need to go sharpen. And it sharpens just as easily as 01. I mean, I'm, I really like it. I'm For the hand chisels, I think it's the only way to go. Hmm. Hmm. 
Does now that, I really want to try it. Does that? No, fit? I, I tend to agree with you, Sean. I've replaced almost all my plane blades. Now I haven't replaced any of my chisels, but yeah, I think uh, I only got one spokeshave blade left to replace with the PVM PV11 uh, steel. Does well, I've only got the half inch and the one inch because mm-hmm. admittedly they are pricey, but I think it's well worth it. And you know, over mm-hmm. time, build up. Sean, does that kind of failure where you're you're going along at that plateaued level of ninety percent for a long time and then it just kind of hits a wall and fails? Does that make it easier for somebody who isn't quite accustomed to it and you know might be using a dull chisel for too long because it subtly sneaks into dull and they just don't catch it? Does, is it easier to know when it's dull because of that abrupt switch? I believe so. I think that's what makes it a lot safer. Uh, okay. Because you know if you're using a hand chisel. You know, a lot. Yeah, you're, you've got the woodworking wood is locked down, and you've got both hands on the chisel working it, or a hand on a chisel and a hand on another tool such as a mallet. But if you're starting to lean into it to get it to work, that ain't good. Or if you're having to hit harder, you know, it's just damaging the wood. If it fails all at once, you're going to be able to tell fairly quickly. Right. Yeah, All right. Get, get a chance. Try that. Try that steel out. No matter what it is, I think it's uh, powdered steels came into the turning world and just kind of revolutionized yeah. stuff. I mean, that is why I'm a big uh, Carter fan is because the steel. I, I could care less about his grinds, but the steel is just so nice. Huh. Hmm. Well, so um, Sean, with that said, so who has influenced you the most in woodworking? Easy answer: the students. If you've ever taught, having to explain a single subject five different ways really locks it down into your head on how to do it right the first, right the first time. So, uh, I mean, if you want to get better, teach somebody how to do something, and then you'll, you'll remember the techniques forever, and you, you can build upon that foundation. Whereas if you're not teaching, a lot of times you'll learn something, and then you'll forget it a few months later and you have to relearn it. So it's kind of like you're never really progressing. You're just kind of plateauing out. I think teaching is one of the best ways to ramp up your learning. Hmm. Hmm. That's a students are the biggest influence on me. That's very cool. That that makes a lot of sense too. Absolutely. So, so uh, we'll quickly go into the next one. What was your biggest stumbling block in woodworking? Uh, is money a bad answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I think we all could relate what, to that. That's what's held me back the most. Would love to do more. Fair. Well, so with that, said, I hear that this line of uh, of squares and other hand tools. I think you're going to address that, and you'll be fine. I sure hope so. <laughs> So, so with that said, if money wasn't an object, what, what would you like to get into? I could picture a little kind of gazebo with about six or 12 workbenches, enough hand tools for a dozen kids, and just teaching after-school kids all day long on how to make stuff and uh, make a mess and sell artis- artisanal hamster bedding. <laughs> <laughs> you might be able to sell that in Austin, actually. <laughs> I've tried. I can't get more than a cup buck or two a bag. Handmade hamster bedding. There's got to be somebody. Oh, it's artisanal. Yeah, artisanal. Everything's artisanal. Now, would you pay more for artisanal hamster bedding or bespoke hamster bedding? 
<laughs> it's all going to be shit on, isn't it? like <laughs> <laughs> How much do you want to pay for something that's going to go through that kind of treatment? Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be non-GMO and gluten-free. Oh yeah, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, artisanal <laughs> hamster bread. Hamster bread. You know, it's, it's really sad is uh, I'm a wood turner and we, we make sh- shavings by the 55 gallon drum and I work at farmer's market. So a lot of times people will ask for those shavings. So I deliver, you know, them a dozen bags the next one day, trash bags. And then I come back the next day with another dozen bags and they say, no, go away. <laughs> so it's, it's just you can't sell this stuff or give it away. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the last question. Um, how has the internet influenced your work? Ooh, is that me? Uh, yeah. Wow. Pay no attention to my cats. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically, when I got on the internet, uh, I was I was still teaching high school. I was kind of experimenting with it. And then when we had the big layoffs and stuff like that, I started using the internet as a marketing for the physical brick and mortar school. Okay. Uh, when I shut that one down, it's just the best way I know to keep scratching that teaching itch. Uh, and if you go to my my classroom series, I think you will understand what I'm talking about. It is, while I do not believe it is possible to teach on YouTube, just as I don't think hand, putting a textbook in front of a kid can be considered teaching, because all YouTube is is a glorified animated textbook. It's as close as I can get to right now. So it's a good way to scratch that itch. Okay. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. All right. Well, thank you for uh, for answering the five questions for the second time. Um, <laughs> we'll try to rein Kyle in and make sure he actually follows through on his recordings. Um, yeah. Or maybe give him a better – well, you did that on your phone, right? So it's not even Mike. Yeah, I did that on my phone and um, somehow and I – a big, huge event with another 100 people all over the place. Um, it was, but before we uh, before we let you go, where can people find more about you online? Uh, you can find me at wortheffort.com. It's worth the effort if you read it right, or the same uh, tagline on uh, YouTube, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. It's sometimes I'll have my initials after that SG, but if you just start out with worth effort, you'll find me. Well, excellent, excellent. Well, um, with that, why doesn't everybody head back into the shop? And uh, and make a marking tool, and see what you can do selling it online. Ooh, <laughs> sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs>